Hey everybody, welcome to the Climbing Sycamores podcast, uh, where we look at today's topics to get a better view of Christianity. I'm Annie Beagie, and I'm joined by my friends Ben Sadler and Matt Harbach. We're going. Hello, everybody. Hey. We did not have to set up today. The studio's fully functioning. Come by and stop by and check us out. My back isn't sore. My legs aren't aching from having to carry all this equipment around. My gosh. It's really nice. It is nice. I like it in here. I have a point of contention to bring up before we get started. Oh, this is a surprise. (laughs) So why is it that when you go to a restaurant and they make specialty hamburgers, they always just build them taller and taller? It'll be like a hamburger, but we'll put mac and cheese on it, or we'll put like jalapeno poppers on it, right? No one can eat that. You can't, you can't put your mouth around it. You can't it. put your mouth around it. Why don't they build them out wider? wider? Yes, exactly, instead of taller. Huh. Then you'd need a thinner, well, you'd probably need a thinner patty, burger patty. Um, mm-hmm. Like if you wanted to use the same amount of meat, mm-hmm. you would have to really thin out the patty. They, all I'm saying is they got to get they got to figure that out because it's like it's not like you're combining the flavors if you have to take you have to disassemble the whole thing and you have to eat it in chunks anyway. What, what's the point? I got a pretty big mouth. So do you <laughs> did you have this experience? I was just going to say what happened. Well, multiple times. Yeah. Anytime multiple? you get like a specialty this or that. But I was at Culver's recently and they have one where there's like a hamburger, but then there's like a whole cheese curd on top of you. Oh, yeah, that yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. I've heard of, like, heard of it. There's like... <laughs> It's like a hockey puck, but it's just cheese. Did you have it? Yes. The first couple of bites are really good. Then after that, it, it starts to make your insides like. Tense. What's your fiber intake? You got to offset <laughs> not, that. Not nearly enough. <laughs> Get you some Metamucil. <laughs> oh, man. But all, yeah, all, all I'm saying is if you're out there and you're listening and you're thinking about starting a burger restaurant, I know that's probably a lot of you. Wider. Wider because wider, the, human, not taller. the human mouth is not evolving to open wider anytime soon. I hear that takes millions of years anyway. Yeah, We're not true. snakes, you know? Yeah. Right. By the way, snakes do not unhinge their jaws. They just have a double hinged jaw. A lot of predators do. I know you guys were all wondering that. Okay. All right. That's all I had to start with. <laughs> okay. So I had to get like that it. off my chest. Speaking of Metamucil. <laughs> 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 Typically, you know, it's probably used by older adults. And I, yeah. I, I was just thinking about age. You know, Ben and I, you and I are going to be 40. Yeah, that's Killers. for you. Segway. That's two days, right? Two days from now. Yep. And um, in you 40, hate the idea of growing older. I Well, no, actually, I think I if there is such a thing as a psychological disorder that that makes you think that you are not as old as you are. I think I have it. Like, I literally think I have it. I think it's a thing. And how does this play out? Oh, I don't know. I just, I, it, it doesn't like 40 itself doesn't bother me. Okay. I don't think. Um, and I don't think that age really should be like mm-hmm. a thing because mm-hmm. we, you know, it's like we see people live to be a hundred and not really have any like health problems. And yeah. we see people, you know, unfortunately who get cancer at 30 and die. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of like, is it really an indicator of mm-hmm. health or is it really an indicator of Life expectancy, because, you know, people are taking, it's all on God's time anyway. So I just feel like age is just, well, age. It's a number. Unless you're dealing with kids, you know, because I think, obviously, you know, kids are, they're young and they can't make decisions and things like that. But I think for adults, like, there's really not much, where does the 
you know, gap. That's true. I feel like though things are getting harder. I feel like as I age, where like what I heard harder to get it when he stood up earlier. Yeah, like while we're groaning, like you're so (laughs) like I just can't. That's mental. (laughs) It when it comes to yeah, uh, getting in shape or the things like just goofing around with my kids, um, playing sports. I just I can't do the same things I used to. So I feel that. Um, I also I think. I get why, I don't know if this happens on the same level. It feels like whenever you talk about midlife crisis, it's always guys, right? Is Are there, do women go through that as yeah, much? Yeah, I had mine at 30, which yeah. means I'm going to live till I'm 60. So. Okay. <laughs> women get it at 30, I think, because that's when they're, that's when they start freaking out if they're not married. Okay. You had it at 30? I think so. Okay. What was that like? Uh, I don't want to talk about that. Is that when okay. you dyed <laughs> your hair purple? It's right around that time, probably, actually. Yeah. But I... I think for guys, it's like you look back and you thought you'd be farther along or you thought you would have accomplished more. It's more about like the accomplishments. And then you start to realize like the t- the clock is ticking. You've kind of solidified for the most part the career you're in or the vocation you got or the direction you got. And it's it's harder to be mobile because like I feel like when I was 20, I just said yes to everything. You want to go to go spend a month in Ecuador? Yeah. You want to try that job? Yeah. And I just and now those decisions now affect more people in my life. They affect my wife and my kids and um so I feel like life kind of narrows as you get older. You're the things that you're able to do, the things the decisions you're able to make and it's great, but it's it's different. I can Do you not agree with no, that? No, I, I understand that. I think, but I think some of the the most famous like, didn't didn't J.K. Rowling didn't all her stuff happen at the age of forty? Sure, that's true. It's like okay, to be flexible. Well, mm-hmm. You know, Dude, like, Annie, that could be you. One hundred percent. Two years from now, bestseller. Yeah, <laughs> of something. <laughs> and and maybe that's the issue. Some if you have a mindset that my best days are behind me, that's when it gets really bad. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. right. So there's a study that came out that. Uh, more and more people by the age of 25 are having that crisis, hmm. which uh, that's me in like a couple of weeks. Um, if you like, if you haven't achieved all your life goals or like haven't gotten into the career you want by age 25, like people like the stress is like spiking hmm. and 25 is not that old. No, no. I mean, I hope not as a 24 year old. That's it. End of the road, Matt. I know <laughs> I could just hang up the gloves now. I think I lose track of time a lot easier than because one year is a smaller percentage of your life. And so now it's like, you know, when you're little, one year's forever. Mm -hmm. And now it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, man. Uh, I also think, you know, there's harder thing is seen like parents age and relatives age. And you think I only have this many summers with them or I have this many Christmases with this person, maybe. Uh, so that that gives a little bit more urgency, I think. To I don't think about it. That Good I think bad. you're wired that differently when it comes to that too. I though. think I have a mental disorder. <laughs> I'm not I kidding. Think. I think there is some. I, there, there's got to be like in the. Isn't there a journal? The what's what's the the psychiatric journal? There's got to be something like Arrested Development. I think. What it is. Now I don't know how many people believe in the Enneagram and the the nine different personalities, but it's interesting that you and Pastor Bill 
fall into the same seven what is it called enthusiast is that yeah, what it I is think so. yeah. yeah and it says in there one of the characteristics is like do not want to talk about death do not want to talk about aging live in the moment how can we have some fun right now and uh and it's like with pastor bill too if it gets a little bit too on those things he'll tell a joke uh-huh. and yeah, he'll yeah, like yeah. change the subject mm-hmm. And he hates talking about age and mm-hmm. like how, you know, you just anytime you want to get under his skin. So I think <laughs> there is something great. about your personality that the, and we need people like you to have keep us having fun so that we don't get old and curmudgeon and can't. Yeah. Crusty. <laughs> Why did you look at me when you said that? Because you are. You're already old and crusty. You're young. <laughs> you're curmudgeon. <laughs> you're curmudgeon. You can be curmudgeon. You're an old That's soul. That's true. Um, uh, but on the topic, uh, uh, Jordan, Jordan Peterson, I think, has said, like, if you are stuck in a job or in some situation in life that you hate, it's almost like you age twice as fast. Mm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you, you can't get stuck doing something that you hate. And I mm-hmm. think uh, uh, conversely, if you do something that you love, then you you never feel like bored or you're old with it. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to keep growing. I think that's important. Always have a growth mindset. What can you learn today? How can you grow? I've heard statistics too that once people retire and mm-hmm. they have the vacation life, mm-hmm. like they die way quicker. Don't slow down. You don't get old. Yeah, that's true. So I think there's a lot to that. Um, but I think my personality more is like reflective and <laughs> like thinking about, yeah, time is passing and what do you do with the time you have left? And <laughs> I don't, nostalgia is not a thing for me. I don't I think about the past. I don't yeah. dwell on it. That's good. I don't long for it. That's good. Just say what's can't move anywhere but forward. That's good. There's no point. Live in the present. Live in the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that brings a lot of value. I'm not sure how much value it is for me to yeah to get stuck in the past or the future or contemplating time and all that. I don't. Maybe it's helpful sometimes, but probably not all the time. It is because I think it brings wisdom. Where I would say a lot of times I lack wisdom because I don't always learn from the past. I don't think about it. You know, I I do sometimes. You know, like but Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't reflect too much. Just get after it. Yeah. What What was your Tight? Are you? No, were you like a perf- yeah a perfectionist? Are you? Oh, I I took no no, uh, I'm definitely not number one. I uh, I took it several times, and the last time I took it, I was like eight. Ah, like that a makes challenger. sense. Challenger, but then I feel like I'm also like a five, which is uh, researching and in like in kind of a daydreaming, absent-minded <laughs> like. That I can see. I don't really see you as a challenger. Yeah, I, I mean, I could go either way. That's my know. wing, this challenger. Mm-hmm. I could surprise. see the challenger because you say things the way they are and the way you see them, irrespective of what other people might think of what <laughs> you say. Yes, I do. And that's that's what my, like, it is just what it is. And that's how my dad is. He's a total mm-hmm. challenger, and he just says it. Mm-hmm. And you can deal with it. And he ha- like has to, yeah, it's, it's really funny. Love it. Yeah. So we need each other, I guess. You need to help us stay young and then maybe we some need wisdom to help you sometimes. Stay old. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't want any part of that. We're no longer friends. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, but I agree. Uh, people, we need all types of types, you know. Okay. Well, I wanted to share an article about Matthew Perry from Friends, which I think is getting 
people w- watch The Office over and over again. I think people are watching Friends again a it's lot. It's made a resurgence, especially with the, the 90s kind of coming back into fashion and things mm-hmm. like that. You see a lot of people, kids wearing Friends t-shirts. I've seen that, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. This is a show I did not get into, like, because The Simpsons was on, like, yeah. opposite this show at 6 o'clock. Yeah, around that us. was your show. I was watching The Simpsons, unbeknownst to my parents. <laughs> I know there was just a lot of girls, I think, in high school and college that loved it when I was, like, I think Emily watched it with with her friends. I never, yeah, I never really got into it. But I'm fascinated by it because it was was, uh, so popular and and what happens to those actors. And Matthew Perry has come out with a memoir. I've heard about this. I'm interested in reading it. Uh, But here's an article by David Zoll from the Mockingbird uh, website. Um, I encourage people to check out the Mbird website. uh, It's mbird.com, and then they um, they have great podcasts also. And Dave Zoll wants to – he looks at a lot of secular culture and what's going on in the world and how it applies to God's grace and where do we see God's grace and its absence. And so I was just going to read this article as much as I could uh, and then – have you guys react to it? So the article is called The One Where Matthew Perry Met God. I feel like I'm having that moment right now with the sun. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> We're going to have to get the shades in yeah. here. All right. Maybe you're aware of how bad things had gotten for dear Matthew Perry, a- a.k.a. Chandler Bing of Friends, not me. In the memoir that's been making headlines these past couple weeks, Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing, Perry details the harrowing history of addiction. 14 trips to rehab, 60-some-odd detoxes, 15 stomach surgeries, the kind that makes you marvel that he's still alive. It's a transfixing and tragic tale, and who knows if it's over. Only one can pray. About midway through, Perry recounts what he considers his bottom, and, well, it left me gaping. I'm not sure if it made more poignant or less by the fact that almost uh, it's almost impossible to read without Chandler's iconic 90s sarcasm doing the narration. The context is that Matthew couldn't sleep because of a painful detox and took eight Xanax, an amount that is likely to kill if he didn't um, have other medication immediately. At the outset of this passage, he's waiting for an assistant to arrive with those pills in tow. And this is what he writes. I hated myself. This was a new bottom, and I didn't think you could get any lower than my previous bottom, but I had managed to do it. And all of this in front of my father, who was obviously terrified. The cunning, baffling, powerful nature of addiction had got me one more time. The front door was still opening. This was serious trouble. I was a desperate man. The drugs were in full flow, the drinking too. Things were so bad I couldn't even cry. To cry might have signaled that there was at least a semblance of normal somewhere out there, but there was nothing natural about any of this. So, a bottom, the lowest point of my life. This is a classic moment for an addict, a moment at which seeks lasting help. But hey, what's this now? As I sat there looking into the kitchen, I noticed a crinkle in the atmosphere. Perhaps someone not at their bottom might have waved it away as nothing, but to me it was so compelling that I couldn't look away. So he's like seeing some kind of light. It resembled a kind of little wave in the air. I'd never seen anything like it before in my life. It was real, true, tangible, concrete. Is this what you see at the end? Was I dying? And then I frantically began to pray. 
with the desperation of a drowning man, the last time I'd pray right before I'd gotten friends, I managed to strike a, a Faustian bargain. I think that's like you bargain with today to uh, get something in the future. With God, who had simply drawn a long breath and bided his damn time. Here I was, more than a decade later, chancing my praying arms once again. God, please help me, I whispered. Show me that you are here. God, please help me. As I prayed, the little wave in the air transformed into a small golden light. As I kneeled, the light slowly began to get bigger and bigger until, until it was so big that it encompassed the entire room. It was like I was standing on the sun. I had stepped on the surface of the sun. What was happening? And why was I starting to feel better? And I was not terrified. The light engendered a feeling more perfect than most perfect quality of drugs I had ever taken. Feeling euphoric now, I did get scared and tried to shake it off, but there was no shaking it off. It was bigger than me. My only choice was to surrender to it, which was not hard because it felt so good. The euphoria had begun at the top of my head and slowly seeped down throughout my entire body. I, might have, I must have sat there for five, six, seven minutes, filled with it. My blood hadn't been replaced with warm honey. I was warm honey. And for the first time in my life, I was in the presence of love and acceptance and filled with an overwhelming feeling that everything was going to be okay. I knew now that my prayer had been answered. I was in the presence of God. Bill Wilson, who created AA, was saved by a lightning bolt through the window experience where he felt he was meeting God. After about seven minutes, insert seven minutes in heaven joke here, the light began to dim. The euphoria died down. God had done his work and was off helping someone else now. I started to cry, meaning I really started to cry that shoulder-shaking kind of uncontrollable weeping. I wasn't crying because I was sad. I was crying because for the first time in my life, I felt okay. I felt safe, taken care of, taken care of. Decades of struggling with God and wrestling with life and sadness, all was being washed away like a river of pain gone into oblivion. I'd been in the presence of God. I was certain of it. And this time I'd prayed for the right thing, help. Eventually, the Weeping subsided, but everything was different now. I could see color differently. Angles were all at a different magnitude. Walls were, were stronger, the ceiling higher, the trees tapping on the windows were more perfect than ever. Their roots connected via the soil to the plant in and back and in front of me. One great connection created by an ever-loving God. And beyond, a sky which had before been theoretically infinite was now unknowably endless. I was connected to the universe in a way I'd never been. Even the plants in my house, which I have never even noticed before, seemed sharp and in focus, more lovely than it was possible to me, more perfect, more alive. I stayed sober for two years based solely on that moment. God had shown me a sliver of what life could be. He had saved me that day and for all days, no matter what. He had turned me into a seeker, not only of sobriety, and truth, but also of him. Nowadays, when a particular darkness hits me, I find myself wondering if it was just the Xanax inst or insanity, a continuation of a snake that had been, I had been sure was about to show up. A drug can cause 
according to the National Institute of Health, described as an irreversible, brief, psychotic episode. But quickly I returned to the truth of the golden light. When I'm sober, I can still see it, remember what it did for me. Some might write it off as a near-death experience, but I was there, and it was God. And when I am connected, God shows me that it was real. Little hints like when the sunlight hits the ocean and turns it into that beautiful golden color or the reflection of sunlight on the green leaves of a tree, or when I see the light return to someone else's eyes when they come out of the darkness into sobriety. And I feel it when I help someone get sober, the way it hits my heart when they say thank you, because they don't know yet that I should really be thanking them. So that's where it ends. Well, thank you, Matthew, this is where David Zoll picks up, for relaying those minutes of unknowably endless sunlight into us and the prayer that preceded them, it takes guts to attempt to wrangle warm honey into words, to brave the risk of embarrassment and triteness and uh, the voice of the persecutor within. You can't contrive the authenticity of someone with nothing left to lose. A strange blessing to be sure, but a supremely hopeful one. What Matthew described doesn't sound to these ears like an epiphany or a breakthrough, nor does it sound like a God concept being expanded or recalibrated some fresh idea being taken on board. No, it sounds like an emotional encounter with the God of the universe, a God who exudes pure grace towards a man consumed by self-destruction. All was being washed away, like a river of pain gone into oblivion. Praise the Lord. By this account, this experience thrusts Matthew deeper into reality rather than away from it. If not healing him fully or dispelling the uncertainty of what comes next, then certainly pointing towards that possibility. His moment in the sun engenders a contagious sort of gratitude and an eagerness to serve fellow sufferers, which is to say, despite the hellish days, weeks, months, years, maybe someone was there for a guy like that all along. So Testify. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, I, I want to read the whole memoir. Um, what did you guys think of the quote from, from Matthew Perry and then maybe uh, what David Zoll had to say about it? And the reason I wanted to write or I wanted to read this um, is I th- this is the time where the pain can be so acute because uh, the holiday season uh, reminds people either of the life that could be, maybe they, they, they don't have a loved one there or um, they don't have, they have problems in their family. Um, and so they turn to alcohol. Uh, I don't know if there's an expectation for something to be better and it's really bad in life right now. And so people go back into vices, but it, it happens every year where uh, people I know uh, go back to drinking or alcohol or drugs or whatever it is. And uh, so I thought it'd be powerful to read uh, this man's story of sadness and, and then to hear his prayer for help. And then um, God's answer, at least this is his experience, and, uh, of, of encounter with a God who loves him. Yeah. So what do you guys think? I liked the author's quote about, uh, it was like near the last, it was after uh, the excerpt from Matthew Perry's, mm-hmm. but when he said it's hard to basically make up this testimony from somebody who has hit rock bottom, right? Mm-hmm. What what, were, what did he say? I was like the way he worded it. Yeah, I mean, it's he he did, doesn't see it as he he sees this as an actual 
uh, encounter with with God, um, and it's a it's a it's a it's blessing. Genuine, yeah. Like it's, it's a genuine thing, and it's hard to like make that up when you're just at rock bottom, mm-hmm. the way that Matthew Perry was. Yeah, so I thought that was insightful. Yeah, and it you know it doesn't matter if yeah he's it takes guts to say this, but when you hit rock bottom, you got nothing left to lose, right? Okay, That's what he that. says. Yeah. Nothing left to lose. Nah. What do you think, Matt? Uh, I, I, uh, I read that article and I read some of the comments underneath. Yeah. Oh, no posted. kidding. Awful. And yeah, so some people were, were knew thought it was genuine, and, and uh, someone made the point. You know, why is there no mention of Jesus Christ? Yeah. I thought that was a fair point. Sure. So does. I don't know. Is he is Matthew Perry Christian? You know, I don't know. Uh, I I guess. I mean, that's been a uh, that's been a critique of AA. Also, that it's uh, you know a higher power and not not a specific mention of of the very pointed. This is Jesus. Mm-hmm. I guess I want to celebrate as far as he is on his journey, mm-hmm. and I hope that it gets clear. You know, when when Paul spoke to the people in Athens, it's a it's amazing uh, to to see that sermon different than uh, some of the other sermons that he preached in uh, Jewish synagogues. When he was preaching in Athens, he says. You have an altar here to an unknown God. I'm going to tell you who this is. And he never actually mentions Jesus in the sermon. And he says, you know, God brought us rain from above, um, and, and God is not far away from any of us. He's right there that we would all, he put us in the very uh, places and times so that we would reach out for him. And so I think God meets us where we are at the moment, and hopefully over time, he will reveal to mm-hmm. Matthew and others and, and to all of us more of himself. Um, I mean, C.S. Lewis' testimony talks about you know going from being an atheist to a theist and then being a theist to a Christian. And I think you have to first start going from being an atheist to a theist, and it doesn't always go right directly to Christianity right away. So I want to celebrate that he's, at least for... You know, and he, he he says this in the article too that you know it's amazing that he's still alive, um, and it's a, it's an incredible tale, and hopefully it's over. One can only pray. You know, maybe Matthew does relapse or or whatever, and and hits rack bottom again. But for right now, and for those two years, that one moment, whatever that was, I, you know, I believe yet yeah, what? Why not say it was God's acceptance and God's love. Uh, led him to to not drink again. I think it's also important to show that I think that's what people really need in those moments of uh, complete worthlessness is that there is a God that loves them. And then, yeah, that gets a lot clearer when you show who that God is in Jesus Christ. Yeah, I I think... uh the point about uh, uh, that you wouldn't make that up, I think, is a great is a great point, because um, 
it's it would be easy to look at this and say like oh someone who's on however much medication yeah who's been through however many relapses and has been high however many times you know well yeah no wonder they're hallucinating or whatever <laughs> this is yeah. but the fact that the takeaway is that he thinks that he met a god who wants to turn his life around and and yeah I, the the way he describes i, I, I don't know I, I again i i think it would be tough to yeah i don't see any reason why he would make that up if he also admits that previously his relationship with with god had been distant and and uh, or maybe really non-existent mm-hmm. yeah he's got nothing to win by by saying as as someone in Hollywood that's Hollywood saying that God saved me, you know he's got there's no. I'd even argue he's got stuff to lose by saying it. Right, yeah. exactly. He he's got he's got a lot to lose. Um, and I remember reading a while back. I saw this. I saw the book. I don't know. If it was online somewhere, and then people reviewing it, and it was all this. Oh, so God saved you? How this is all? You know, this is why does he have to tell all this? Because I guess he goes into quite a bit of detail uh, on embarrassing stories as to how he crashed and burned. Um, I think another thing, it's not really in this article, but you think that if I was just famous or well-known or had more money or had their life, my life would be um, would be great. And this guy is with his dad waiting for some other medication to keep him from dying. He's completely embarrassed and he's calling out for God. That doesn't seem like somebody who's got everything all, all together just because of the fame or money or, or whatever. So I was encouraged by it because as a, as a Christian, as a pastor, I, I want to believe that God is going to meet people when they cry out for help and that hopefully I could be used to help set up that meeting or or help them clarify when they do have that encounter uh cuz if this isn't real and God's not real and he's not intervening you know then we're wasting our time with this with this podcast this building this profession all of that I, I I'm thankful for these kinds of stories so to see and I think AA is one of those things also where they do have you you're powerless on your note. You, you need a higher power. You need God to bring you out of this. And I've heard people say that statistically and, and scientifically, AA shouldn't work, but it does work. And, and I think it is because of that component of realizing our finitude and our frailty and our need for, for God. And unfortunately, or fortunate, whatever it is, when we do hit rock bottom, we come to see the world for what it really is, uh, that that without God, we, we can't pull this off. We're not in control. So, yeah. Anything else? What do you think about this? When he says, decades of struggling with God and wrestling with life and sadness was all being washed away like a river of pain gone into oblivion. I had been in the presence of God. I was certain of it. And this time I had prayed for the right thing, help. I think it's interesting that he, str- he was struggling for decades with God. Uh, you think, 
Hollywood types don't believe in God. They don't need God. You know, science has given all the answers, but how many people, you wonder, for decades are struggling with who is God? Why is he not answering? Uh, there has to be a God, but he doesn't seem to be delivering. So I thought that was interesting. And now he's praying for the right thing, help. Um, what do you think about that? That's a moment of humility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe mm-hmm. it's it's probably one of those things where if you're if you're always succeeding and you just you can't imagine needing help mm-hmm. from anybody because you you make the rules in your own life and your world is your own and that's kind of a, a rare, not a privilege. <laughs> it's a rare circumstance for people who are really successful, um, but yeah, then then you have to. You know, he's talking about confronting the pain of loss, basically, and it's it's that it's the sti- it's the things you can, now you can't do anything about, and you're used to being able to pretty much do whatever you want. Um, and so, what he really needs is to be humbled, and I think that's what he finally gets. And that you have to you have to admit that you need help for some with with something. Mm-hmm. We're reading James right now in our sermon series, and one of the things that James says is he reminds us that. That God opposes the proud but gives grace uh, to the humble, and and so whenever we call out to Him, He will lift us up. Uh, that's a that's a beautiful reminder. I was also thinking of um, Anne Lamont. She's a she was an atheist, became a uh, a Christian. Uh, she's a, just a prolific writer in so many ways. Um, but she's had a, got a book on prayer, and it, it's called uh, Help, Thanks, Wow. The three essential prayers. And so she says all prayers should be kind of in there. First of all, help, I, I can't do this on my own. And she's got her own history of drug use and, and, and background. And and then thanks, you know, so much of our prayer, just thanks for, for deliverance, thanks for, for all. And then wow, that praise. And I think that kind of sums up um, all the, the great prayers. But it's interesting that he said, I prayed for the right thing, and it was help. I think repentance is important in that too. Yeah. Right? Yes, and is that part of the help? Like I, I screwed this up, and I need I need forgiveness. I need help. Um, yeah, maybe that's. I'm really good at praying for the thing she didn't list, which is like stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, hey, can you make me good at this? And like, can I have this thing? Yeah, it's kind of kind of weird that she didn't list that one. Yeah, <laughs> I'm getting ready to to preach on the last part of James, and he says. Uh, if anyone is sick, he should pray, he should call the elders, and they will pray around him, anoint him with oil, and a prayer, or and and this person will be saved. And it, I've been thinking about this for days now. Like, what in the world does that mean? If you're sick and you pray, you will be saved. And some of the translations translate that word healed, but I don't think that's right. That. Not every time you pray, you're going to be healed. Uh, but but you, you come to God in humility, and very often the, the humility of sickness, the humility of being laid low, opens you up to being saved. So our physical frailty and limitations kind of wash away all the BS of our ability to, to, to take care of ourselves and and that we're independent of, of outside forces, and we can do it all. And so I think that's that, that was a really um, 
enlightening to look at the actual Greek word that you will be saved. And then it goes on to say, and if you confess your sins, you will be forgiven. So his, God's deepest desire is not just to heal Matthew Perry from his alcoholism and all these other physical frailties that, that are consequences of, of beating up your body this way, but he ultimately wants him to know he's loved, like, he, like he's coming to that conclusion. I, so I think that's really powerful that when we go through these physical ailments, I think it's an opportunity to meet God in a way that we could never meet him anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So, Good point. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything else there. I have a, I have a sort of a tangential uh, uh, yeah. question, which is that... Uh, I guess we talk, we talk a lot about success and we talk a lot about like giving glory to God and having the proper motivation. And my question is like, you know, we always say things like, you know, it's what's, it's what's in your heart. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that on the outside that that can often, that can often not look any different, you know, Mm -hmm. if you're, if you're doing it for, for whatever reason. And so doing what though? What are you talking about? In what context? Well, well, literally anything. So let's take, you know, like uh, Annie and I have been taught, have talked a bit about like being a worship leader. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're like in front of the church and you're singing and um, you're doing your best. Yeah. You're doing your best and you know that um, you'll sound better if you do your best. Mm -hmm. You will sound better and you will look better if you're doing your best. Yeah. And so then you ask yourself, am I doing this for church or am I doing it for myself? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, externally, it, it, it all looks the same. Sure. You know, and so then someone else, someone compliments you after church. It says, you, you sounded really nice today. You say, thank you. Do you say, well, it really wasn't me. We have a whole team here and <sighs> um, all of our gifts come from Jesus. Do you go into the, do you do, you do go into that? I had a professor who said, just say thank you. Yeah. He, yeah. you know, he, yeah. and, and, uh, you know, that is a really hard spot to be a worship leader, uh, leading a, a sermon, any of those things. Anytime you're up in front, because it can be a show. Mm-hmm. I think for me, what's always helped me forget about myself because uh, that's when music is the best, when you forget about yourself. I don't care if you're, if you're leading probably worship or leading a concert or you're putting on a show. Like When you forget about yourself and you just see the people having fun, or in the case of worship, worshiping Jesus, that's the best place to be, that self-forgetfulness. And, and so when I see somebody come into church that I know is struggling with a particular thing and I'm just so thankful that they're there and I get this bigger picture that God is using this to bring this person in, I forget about myself. And so I think that's, instead of trying to internally make your heart better or, or have a pure heart, I think whatever you can do to forget about yourself and focus on serving that person. And usually I think it's better to focus on one person because it's hard to focus on a a whole sea of people. That will change your heart uh, and you'll forget about it. I don't know. What do you think about that? I think that if your actions um, illustrate your attitudes, then 
you're okay. So for instance, because I have often been concerned about things being about me, you know, at church, like I don't, Mm. I don't actually don't want that. Um, but you know, I try to cultivate a team, my Mm -hmm. team of people, and I try to be very, you know, like we're doing this Mm -hmm. to God's glory and for the community Mm -hmm. and for, you know, for the kingdom and for this. And so I just really try to cultivate that mentality. Mm -hmm. And if one person walks in from the street and for some reason Mm -hmm. thinks that I'm putting off some kind of vibe where I'm trying to make it about me, well, I don't care. Consider the source then. Yeah. Like you don't know me. If you have any questions, feel free to ask me. Right. Um, Cause I, I know where I stand on it. Right. So, and I think if you, if you let your actions illustrate, you know, where you are, mm-hmm. then hopefully you don't have these problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's probably, and probably always a battle of that integrity of, are my actions always matching up with what I say and what I believe? But and listen, we want it to be good. We want yeah. the music to be good. We want right. the message to be good. Mm-hmm. We want it to be good. Cause honestly, if it's not, it's a distraction. Right, exactly. You know, and I, and exactly. I'll be I'll be completely honest. I like it when the music's good. Yes, like, me too. I, you know, I mean, like <laughs> yeah. when I re- when I'm really feeling it, I'm like, yes, guys. You know, because yes. you're seeing your your team grow, and yes. you're seeing like the mm-hmm. capability. Now, now the bar is raised. Yes. And you know what you're capable of. Like it's good, and music yes. should be good, and it like it should yeah. be. Right. So, I agree. Not not because of me, not because of mm-hmm. whatever, but just because. Mm-hmm. I just. It just is confusing because a lot of times we say things like, you know, like uh, it's it's about what's in your heart. It's about what your motivation is. It's like, how do I govern that? Especially when I work at church. It's like, well, obviously, yeah, I'm motivated to be here. Like, I don't like. I guess that's what I mean. Like, I don't think you can govern your heart, Mm -hmm. but I think where you direct your focus Mm -hmm. can, if, 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 if the focus is on on yourself, like, like you're saying, Annie, you know, make it about me, making a name for yourself, uh, that your heart will follow. But if your focus is on the people that are being helped and obviously the glory of God and how good, you know, a thankful heart, God, thank you that we have these musicians. Thank you that mm-hmm. we have all this. Thank mm-hmm. you that you are bringing people in. So mm-hmm. thankfulness mm-hmm. and then also on helping. Um that that's different than making a name for yourself because ultimately it's supposed to be about service but it it is hard and and i and the heart is deceitful the bible says so you it probably in the same moment you can flutter back and forth between look at how great i am and then oh look at these people who are being helped and and look how great this is to God's glory. Oh, and look at how great I am. Aren't they lucky to have me? You know, you probably do that all right. in the same song. Right. Yeah. I used to feel that way when I was younger, performing yeah. like outside of church. Yeah. And, you know, just having kind of that feeling about myself, like, oh, look at me. And then at some point after, I don't know how many years of doing it. 30. Was it 30? Wasn't th- <laughs> I haven't been doing this for 30 years. I would have... <laughs> no, oh, actually, age, no, 30. age 30. Oh, you were talking 30, about yeah. you had, when you had maybe. your crisis. Yeah. Oh, yeah, maybe. Um where you know you just like in the in the cover band world you say why do i do what i do why am i here at the bar until two in the morning performing what is the point and and i finally concluded like this is for other people like Mm -hmm. let other people get get a night out four hours have a couple drinks enjoy themselves they get to escape their lives for four hours like they get to escape you know, their mm-hmm. work and their responsibilities for four hours and just let them mm-hmm. come out and have fun and, and take that escape and take that enjoyment. And that's, you know, like that kind of changed for me. I was like, 
yeah, I'm doing, I'm trying to facilitate a party for other people. Like that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's about service Mm -hmm. ultimately. Mm -hmm. And that's when it gets good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's so good. Yeah. But it took me a while to get there. Yeah. And And there are still people in the music scene who they don't have that. They don't get that. And that's a never ending struggle then, right? Because there's always going to be someone better than you. Mm -hmm. There's always could have been more people there. Mm -hmm. There could have more people praising you and uh, it's never going to be enough. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. that's what I love about the book of Ecclesiastes. It says that kind of life is a chasing after the wind, chasing after success or accolades or whatever it's a chasing after the wind but when you see life as a gift and then your life as a service that's what makes it last that's to enjoy it so yeah that's really good was that your thing matt or do you have something else in your mind Uh, yeah that that was my thing i think okay i'd like to get further into that other topic you mentioned at another point it's Ah. probably gonna take a while yeah that's that's deep yeah Coming up next time. (laughs) Well, everybody, enjoy your Black Friday. Don't trample anybody at the Best Buy. In all your thankfulness and gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. Trample them with kindness. (laughs) (laughs) Find your tickle me elbow. If you'd like to get a hold of us here at the Climbing Sycamores podcast, feel free to email B Sadler at victoryofthelamb.com. B S A D L E R at victoryofthelamb.com. If you like today's intro music, it's been brought to you by Andrew Lynch's song, My Name, Hello.